your home. And the best in coverage. WXDX FM Pittsburgh, an iHeart Radio station. the Penguins to beat the New York Islanders in four straight games because I did not I didn't see anyone in the media pick the Pens in four I'm assuming that none of you picked the Pens in four so that being the case they were going to lose a game weren't they well okay then that game was last night and let's see where the series goes from here because the overreaction by fans is not a good look, especially the blaming of individuals. Basically, here's what you wanted. You wanted a win, and for all 20 guys to play flawlessly, and then you wanted it to happen 15 more times. Gee, that's realistic. What amazing perspective all of you have. And since it didn't happen, it's time to run guys out of town. Game two is tomorrow night. The Penguins now have a bit more urgency, to be sure. But I picked the Pens in six, and that still goes. The Penguins are six and five, excuse me, 16 and five under Mike Sullivan. The game after playoff loss, that certainly bodes well. This is the Mark Madden Show. If I had a dime for every time I turned on the radio and heard somebody better than me, I would have zero dimes. Bada boom. Smartest guy in the room. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Or you can follow me on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. My complaint about the Penguins is the defense as a group played poorly. Matt Murray made some good saves, but he could play better. Four goals is a lot of goals. And the Penguins too often tried to make plays when plays weren't there. That was exemplified by Chris Letang trying to attack in overtime when the Penguins were on a line change. And that's with the long line change. And that's how the Islanders got their winning goal. Letang lost the puck, and the Islanders beat the Penguins back down the rink. 99% of the time, you want Chris Letang to attack. That's his game. But not in overtime in the Stanley Cup playoffs and not one on two. The reward is unlikely, and so the risk can't be justified. That's not putting Latang on blast because the Pens did what I'm talking about last night a lot. They tried to force the issue when it wasn't wise, when nothing was there. Sometimes in the playoffs, you gotta settle as in settle for getting it deep, as in settle for cycling down low. Sometimes in the playoffs, you gotta let the game come to you. The Penguins also came out flat to start the game and flat at the start of every period except overtime. When you're under siege at the start of every period, the other team won't ever feel under the gun 
and the Islanders didn't last night. The Penguins got 44 shots and some good chances, but they struggled defensively. Of course, the big debate is the decision made on defense, lineup-wise. Jack Johnson sat. The perception among the great unwashed is that Ole Mata struggled, and he was minus two. But Ryan Dumoulin also struggled. It was also minus two. We've talked about Latang. Pedersen took a penalty that resulted in a power play goal for the Islanders, so the entire defense didn't play great. Branson did okay. Schultz scored that game-tying goal late in the third period, but the defensive core generally let the Penguins down. So here's the decision that Mike Sullivan faces. If you believe the defensemen dressed last night are your best six, you dress them again Friday and trust them to play better. If you weren't sure about that, make a change. It's that simple and shouldn't be emotional and doesn't involve drawing and quartering. My instinct is to play the same six, but if Sully puts Jack Johnson back in the lineup, that'd be okay too. Uh, By the way, based on practice today, it looks like the same lineup for game two, which means the same scratches for game two, because Johnson, Bluger, and Trotman stayed on the ice for extra work after practice concluded. Uh, Johnson addressed the media and handled being scratched very well. Uh, Jacko's a pro, first class all the way. Uh, Branson and Dumoulin were both uh, shaken up last night, but both went through the full practice today, so they look to be fine. Uh, Ole Mott and Chris Letang are the scapegoats on social media, and okay, if you say so. But sometimes you just lose. Like I said, nobody picked the Penguins in four straight. A lot of you are predisposed to blame Mata or Jack Johnson uh, most of the regular season. If Jacko plays and the Penguins lose, you're probably jumping on Johnson. But who dressed and who didn't last night, that didn't determine who won and who lost. Hockey isn't that simple. But the vultures out there love to get mad and they love to blame. People on Twitter were even blaming Sid for Frigg's sake. If you want to look on the bright side, Kessler and Malkin played well and each got a goal. The Penguins certainly had chances to win the game and did not come out flat in overtime. Uh, And that was Sid's line that started overtime. I thought the Penguins were going to win it right off the bat in OT. And if you want to continue to look on the bright side, game two is tomorrow night. The Penguins will take a deep breath and play better. Fans always got to overreact, and fans always got to blame. The Penguins lost one playoff game, and the haters all climax metaphorically. The Pirates are 6-4, and four, and you're printing World Series tickets. Ha! The venom unleashed after one loss is just... It's just sad. Pittsburgh is not a loyal sports town. Maybe they should scratch Mata and use Johnson. Maybe they should scratch Latang and use Trotman. Maybe they should scratch Sid and use Bluger. Maybe they should start Casey to Smith and goal. Maybe they should fire Sullivan and bring back Bilesma. Uh, so it's going to be hockey talk today. We got a bit of soccer talk at 3.30 with Bob Lilly, the coach of the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. They have their home opener Saturday at Highmark Stadium after spending the first four games on the road. And we got Josh Joey live from New York 
to talk Penguins at 4.30. Uh, I had a delightful time at Archie's on the south side last night, and my path of rage continues tomorrow night for Game 2. I will be at Leo's Sports Page in New Ken to watch the Penguins and Islanders. Leo's is my spiritual home in the Allegheny Valley, so please do stop by. I want your immediate reaction to that Game 1 loss right now, now, 412-333-9939. Oh, and also, the Penguins may have lost, but the second episode of Brockmeyer was excellent last night. 105.9. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, he's fan. Love the show. Because that's what you got to do. Hey, Mark, big fan and all that. I, 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 I think you're on to something. The X at 105.9. We've got a few calls. We'll get to them in just a second. But a day wouldn't be complete without some Steeler controversy. Uh, Ex-Steeler Richard Mendenhall posted this tweet. Quote, all right, I'll end the mystery. B's racist and AB's black. B meaning Ben Roethlisberger. He called Ben Roethlisberger a racist. Point blank. The tweet continues, quote, he had to catch balls from a racist quarterback. Every honest player knows it. It's not a big deal. He was just supposed to take his lickings and move on like a slave for real, unquote. Uh, that's from Richard Mendenhall, the guy who fumbled away that Super Bowl against Green Bay. He accuses Ben of being a racist with no examples or evidence to back it up. And then he compares A.B. to a slave right down to being tied to the whipping post. Good Lord, I feel like I'm dying. This is one of the most absurd accusations ever. Richard Mendenhall is a bigger POS than Antonio Brown, and that's saying something. The irony is, the criticism of Ben when A.B. went nuts and all the ex-players in the national media followed, that was absolutely rooted in race. Mendenhall just went overboard with it, and it's all just a bunch of horse manure. And let's not forget... Richard Mendenhall is the guy who said regarding 9-11 that we still haven't heard Bin Laden's side of the story. P-O-S. We're going to talk with hockey, about hockey mostly today. Uh, I give the Islanders a lot of credit for that. When they did a decent job defending Crosby's line, which just had one scoring chance credited, uh, two guys I never heard of on defense were matched up, uh, Pellick and Pulak. Tomato, tomato. Uh, hey, savor the flavor if you're an Islanders fan because that won't last. Those two jabronis ain't going to shut down Sidney Crosby and that line all series. It's only one game. Repeat after me. It's only one game. Keep in mind that the Penguins lost the first game of every series in 1991 when the franchise uh, won its first Stanley Cup. Losing last night is hardly a disaster. Now, if you lose game two, then both games at home are must-win. So losing game one makes game two that much more important. That is the tangible fallout. You want to make your presence felt? Call now, 412-333-WXDX. Let's go to Mark in Summerside. Mark, you're on with Double M. Good afternoon, Mr. Madden. Good afternoon. Uh, I can't really say the Pens played bad, but if Mott is going to stay in, he has to go and play a lot smarter. He uh, made a really bad pass to Latang, basically left Latang wide open to just get pummeled. 
and put him out on the ice longer than he went wanted to be when he was already yeah, a lot of with. players made a lot of mistakes that's how you lose a hockey game and the other team wants to win too they made some good plays i think uh, the islanders personally had more drive last night murray looked a little shaky the islanders had good starts to each period except for overtime i thought the penguins came out flying in overtime uh, i thought matt murray could play better but but played good enough to win most definitely um do you wonder if uh, Sully's wondering about, like, I know the Islanders hadn't played well at all on the power play leading up to the playoffs, and all of a sudden they get one goal on their first power play chance against us. When yeah, we yeah. Again, they know what they're doing on the power play. They They had one of the lowest percentages in power play conversion on the season, but that – Conversion percentage was not 0.0. I mean, they've scored power play goals. I, I don't see what point you're trying to make. Uh, I was just, because I know Jack Johnson was uh, really well good on the uh, No, actually, Oli is really good on the penalty kill. You've babbled enough. Goodbye. Let's go to uh, Mike in the car. Mike, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mike. I kind of wanted to talk a little bit. Well, he kind of last called it. I got, I got to disagree a little bit, Mark, about Mata. I mean, he's played, you know, well in the past, past playoffs. But in my opinion, he should have been the odd man out until uh, someone else played themselves out of the line. That's not an unreasonable uh, uh, viewpoint, but nor is playing him. Uh, like I said, there you. wasn't a wrong decision to be made between Mata, Johnson, and Pedersen. All have their strong points. And just because the Penguins lost last night doesn't mean you can trace it directly to that decision. Or, for that I matter, totally the decision to scratch Teddy Bluger. Totally agree, Mark. If I could just make one more point. Regardless of what happens in this series, Mario needs to sit down with Rutherford. Well, he's not going uh, to. Anything else? No. It's, I mean, Mark, Mario right. hires those guys to do their jobs. He's not going to sit down with them. So, so I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Get, get to your point. You've got, you got 15 seconds. Mark, they're going to be on the same page. They trade. What makes you think they're not on the same page based on last night? So now you're blaming the relationship between Sullivan and Rutherford for the Penguins losing last night. No, I'm blaming it on the last two years of not knowing. Well, two years ago they won the Stanley Cup. So you're going to have to come a bit further forward to have even a snowball's chance in hell of me buying the, the tripe you're saying. Mark, who do the Penguins have on the roster? Sports getting rid of their last two first round draft picks. Nobody. They bankrupted the future for nothing. Really? Do you they know that? Don't even have a do you know that? Have you done scouting? Have you watched video? Do you know the future shot? Wow. You should be doing the show and not me, you friggin' idiot. Jim Rutherford did everything right this year to make this team better for this year. And that idiot. Oh, God, I, I hate you people. I hate this town. If I wasn't 58, I would get the frig out of it. If I had my way, I would quit right now, walk in the next studio, and be on the air in some city that has loyalty, except probably none do. You want to hate? You want to blame? You want to be asshats? I want to punch you right in the nose. And I could, too. I'm a badass. Up next, Pittsburgh Riverhounds open their home schedule on Saturday at Highmark Stadium. We'll talk to... Hans coach Bob Lilly briefly, and then after that, right back to hockey, we got Grant and Lowe's 
on hold. Please stay there. We'll get to you in just a moment on 105.9 The X. X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark Madden. Yes. Your voice is like sweet nectar to my ears. The last thing we need is a lot of loose talk. Hmm? Hmm? I like it. I like it. The X at 105.9. The Pittsburgh Riverhound Soccer Club plays its home opener Saturday night at Highmark Stadium in Station Square. The team celebrating its 20th season. Joining me now is their second-year coach, Bob Lilly. Uh, Bob, welcome back to the program. You got the Riverhounds in the playoffs last year in your first season. What are your expectations this year? Well, hi, Mark. It's good to be back on. Uh, we our, our expectations are certainly more than we achieved in year one, and I thought it was a, it was a good first season for me here, but I think uh, the group showed good consistency throughout, uh, you know, and, and to, to get into a third-place finish in, in a very difficult Eastern Conference, uh, we had to be consistent, you know, and it's disappointing with a great crowd to go out in the first round of playoffs, but you know, we want to be in one of those top spots again and, and ultimately make a run in the playoffs that's worthy of a championship, you know, and, and you're going to have to be playing your best soccer by the end of the year, and you're going to still have to be consistent consistent throughout the year uh, just to earn, you know, home field for as many matches as possible. Um, and then you're going to have to bring it when it matters most at playoff time. So we clearly have to get better. I think the league has gotten better, and certainly the Eastern Conference has gotten stronger. So uh, our expectations are high, and there's a lot of work in front of us. Now, the Riverhound started the season with four games on the road and won one, lost one, and drew two. What were the pros and cons of starting the season on the road? Because uh, I know some teams can see that, is a galvanizing experience to play several road games in a row at some point. Yeah, and I think I think it 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 lets you make some mistakes early, which are likely going to happen. And you know, you don't want to drop points at home very often, if at all. You know, and so having those games on the road, I I think we we got better, and and certainly. Uh, competed very well. I wouldn't say the Louisville game was artistic, but I think our mentality was really good. And, and it was, you know, we got some things sorted out defensively that we, we were a little bit sloppy on the defensive side of the ball the first three games, and it, and it cost us a lot of goals, which is not typical of us. But, you know, we were able to tighten that, and I thought we had some some good opportunities against a good Louisville team. And, and uh, you know, now we feel like there's some momentum. Um, it wasn't a perfect road trip, but I think we were able to grow some. And I hope that this being game five, uh, you know, I would, I, I'm expecting us to show up and, and have a good game on Saturday. And, you know, it's, it's difficult in some ways because it's a very good Hartford team that is 0-5, which you and others may call me crazy, but I know their personnel. Oh, no, I know what and, you mean, Bob. Uh, yeah. They're too good to lose every game, right? Uh, they're, 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 
you know, there's all league players. I coached Alex Dixon. I mean, when you look at some of their attacking players, Angulo, they, they have weapons there. And, you know, other than the Tampa game, their first four games, they, they won the stat battle and could have won any of those games. And, and they just weren't getting the bounces. And, and then they go to Tampa and try totally different system. And, you know, I think, it was 1-0 till midway through the second half, and it ended 4-0, I'm sure, once the second goal went in. But they're coming off a 4-0 loss, and I'm guessing they're going to come in highly motivated to work their way into the game. And if they get into this game, fully into this game, they're going to be very dangerous in the second half. If, if we haven't shown up and, and asserted our authority, you let these guys in it because they're going to they're gonna win games. They're going to they're gonna win games in bunches once they get off the mat. And it's our job not to let them off the mat. Now, you guys allowed the fewest goals in the USL last year, the entire league, but you scored the fourth fewest goals among the 16 playoff teams. Can you score more this year, Bob, and still have the same kind of success on defense? What balance are you going to try to strike, and how will you do it? Yeah, I mean, ultimately... You know, giving up six in the first three games is going to make it a challenge to to have maybe as low a goal total. But I I still think when all said and done, we'll be strong defensively, and I would expect us to be in the you know top ten out of out of thirty six teams. I would be surprised if we're not in the top ten defensively. I think the challenge for us is. You know, last year we were somewhere around 20th maybe in goals scored out of 34 teams, I believe. And now we have 36. I mean, I'd like to see us uh, in that top top third, you know, minimum top half. Like, I think we've got to definitely get into those top. 12 to 15 in terms of goal scoring, you know, and, and I think that's important. We have added extra strikers. We've added some size. We've added uh, a couple of creative midfielders like uh, an Anthony Velarde has been fantastic. He's a rookie and he just got his first start in Louisville, but he made contributions off the bench and in the other games and uh, I think he's got a lot of upside. So we just tried to become a little bit more sophisticated in the attacking end. And, uh, that, that certainly is the plan to be better, uh, better in the attacking end without, you know, without capitulating at the defensive end. <laughs> well, you mentioned Velarde. Who else among your new acquisitions, Bob, do you think can help you guys get more balls in the other team's net? Well, I mean, when you look at, you know, Christian Valeski has scored 40 goals in the last four years. Dos Santos, 40 goals. You know, these guys played in 2015 uh, with 18 and scored goals uh, and scored playoff goals. These guys are, are good forwards in our league, and I think it just takes – some of the heat off of Nico Brett. And there were times last year where we were very dependent on Nico Brett. And even even games that we dominated, you know, teams just marked Nico really tightly in, in, in their own penalty box. And, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't find goals from other sources enough. 
you know, and I think having uh, more depth and more quality, it will it will enable Nico to get free on a more consistent basis. It'll be hard to key just on him. I think it opens some space for a Kevin Kerr, a Canardo Forbes, and I think last year we just lacked some punch there. And uh, it's not that we didn't have good moments during the season and we scored more goals in the second half of the year, but I don't, I don't think we asked enough questions on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, we, we hope to do that, you know, on a, on a real positive, we started to score a lot more goals off of restarts the second half of the year last year. And we got a couple already this year. So, you know, I think when, when we bring some of our big guys into the box, Joe Greenspan clearly is a threat every time we get in, in any type of corner or attacking restart. But I think overall we're, we're a little bit, a little bit bigger, a little bit, uh, craftier. Um, and I just think we're going to ask some different questions. And I think it's going to, uh, not only will it help having those guys, but I think some guys that, that are returning, mainly Nico, Kevin, Kenny. I think it, it, it helps them not have to shoulder so much of the burden. Well, now's a big stretch, isn't it, Bob? You've got three straight games at home. The fans are going to be back. It's a, a good time to rack up some points and get out in front of where you want to be, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, a, it's you know, we, we've had the four road games to work out the kinks. This is an important stretch for us, I think. Um, you know, we're looking after these three games, we'll be 20% through our season. So the reality is it's a, it's a big chunk here. And, you know, right now we're, we're sitting, I believe in 10th place, somewhere around 10th, 11th, you know, out of 18 teams, but with four road games, it's, it's okay. You know, I think if we have a good road stand, we could be in the top six by the end of this, this, Sorry, this homestand, uh, but we got to get the results, you know. And I think everything's competitive in this league. There's no free freebies. You got to take care of your home points. And I, I think we're always going to be able to go out on the road and 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 be difficult and get points. But you know, getting three on the road is you know, is, is not easy. And I think, you know, you just have to make sure you're taking care of your home games. Bob, great stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time, and we'll see you real soon at the games. Thanks, Mark. Take care. That's Bye. Bob Lilly, Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Started out four games on the road there. One win, one loss, two draws. Big home opener Saturday night. No hockey game. She'll get a good crowd Saturday at 7 p.m. against Hartford Athletic. Uh, we're going to talk hockey now. Let's take a quick call from Laws in the car. Laws, you're on with Mark Madden. Big Sexy, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Hey, hey Mark, I'm noticing the Penguins. I'm wondering if it's a system thing or not, but when they're on the PK, the Penguin wingers don't seem to close in on the, on the opposing point men to force them into a pass or even take the body where the opposing team against the Penguins really forced their D to make quick decisions. Do you notice that? Or uh, it it's just a matter of penalty-killing philosophies. Um, without having talked to Sully or any of the assistants about it, the Penguins appear to not really pressure whoever has the puck. 
unless they have a momentary lapse of puck control or unless they turn their back on the play. And i got to tell you, bro, it's tough to challenge guys at the point because they have the whole play in front of them. They're facing everything. you got to be patient. The reason the other teams do that to the Penguins, in my estimation, is because the Penguins don't shoot very much on the power play. So you can challenge the puck, and if they make a pass to the open guy, chances are they won't shoot it anyway, and you have time to recover. But with the Penguins' gifted wingers, don't you think if they cause a turnover, the odd man rushes would increase? Or even I'm increase not sure their gifted wingers are killing penalties necessarily, except for, you know, Gensel on occasion. Right. Yeah, I, I, if you look closely, brah, when Crosby's out there, he does challenge the puck more because, as you suggest, uh, there's more reward for a player of his caliber. 412-333-9939 is the number to call up. Uh, the Penguins' problems last night were not dissimilar to Tampa's. Oi, we saw what happened to Tampa, right? Up 3-0 at home against Columbus. They lose 4-3 in regulation. Tampa didn't settle for winning the game. They tried to manufacture what wasn't there. The Lightning were up 3-zip, and they didn't simplify. They didn't chip it deep or cycle down low. The Lightning kept trying to razzle and dazzle, and they paid the price for it. Uh, the Penguins never led, and that was obviously a problem. They were always catching up. They came from Donegal three times, which is hard to do, and you can't do it indefinitely. Boy, the Penguins did great with the goaltender out to get that tying goal by Schultz. But the Penguins kept trying to make plays that weren't there, as did the Lightning. Barzell made a great play on that winning goal for New York. Uh, Bailey cashed in Barzell's work. Uh, Mata had a couple bad moments. Dumoulin looked bad on both of New York's first two goals. But it looks like Sullivan's going to keep the lineup the same. And you know, that's what I'd do. If you're convinced that's your best lineup, one loss by a goal in overtime should not deter you from that. Uh, If you adjust your lineup after a loss that close, that's just knee-jerk, panicky crap. And by the way, if I did put Johnson back in, I would probably scratch Pedersen, sit the rookie for a game. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I want your reaction to last night's Penguins loss, and it looks like the lineup will remain the same tomorrow night for Game 2. I want your reaction to that as well. 105.9 X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, what's happening, Mark? Loud noises! (laughs) DX at 105.9. Got a full board of calls about last night's Penguin game. Let's go to uh, Mark in the car. Mark, you're on with Double M. Mark, uh, just wanted to say I think they came out not prepared they're lucky they didn't get down two. That that call, they've got the goal back. I'm a little concerned. I think that we're overestimating them, and they better wake up before they get bounced by the Islanders. Yeah, I think it would be good if they didn't lose three more games. I yeah. think you're overreacting badly to one loss. As far as they should have been down two, not to know they should not have been because the goal was clearly offsides. But coming out flat each period is a concern. And let the Islanders uh, build momentum early and. By the time it petered out, the period's half over or more than that. And uh, I, and that just, that's that's the most concerning thing for me because they just traditionally 
underestimate teams that they don't they don't respect like they do at Tampa or Washington, and they come out flat. However, being down one game to none, I think that's very unlikely to happen again. I hope you're right because we got to beat these guys and move forward. Thank you. Let's go to Jason in West Virginia. Jason, you're on with Mark. Hey, Mark. I was uh, wondering what you thought about potentially, and I know they said the lineups are going to be the same for tomorrow night, but one thing Hornquist said this is line, which is a tried and true system that we know works with Gensel, Crosby, and Hornquist. Yep, they're not going to do and, that. Uh, well, I, I was just wondering what you thought about maybe well, You know what? I would play Hornquist with Sid all the time, but isn't it boring to talk about stuff they're just not going to do? It is. It just, you know, talking about solutions to problems. I, I just well, I, I don't think that necessarily is the solution to the problem. I think the Penguins did fine in the offensive part of the rink. They had 44 shots. They scored three goals. They were threatening on a pretty consistent basis. I think the problem is in the defensive end of the rink, and I think it starts with, again, trying to create what isn't there. Like Tanger on the, on the overtime goal by New York. I don't want to put Tanger on blast. But he tried to make a play one-on-two during a line change with the long change in effect in the first overtime. The risk was too great, and the reward was too unlikely. And stuff like that wasn't just done there, although it certainly was the most costly there. The Penguins were trying to create something out of nothing far too often instead of just settling for better puck management or, at the very worst, the puck deep in their zone. No Quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services and by the Ford King, Richard Vazzy, Schultz Ford in Wexford and Harmerville. Just around the corner, we will keep looking at that decision to scratch Jack Johnson on defense, which looks to be in effect for tomorrow night, Game 2 as well. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9.